0: FaZe World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well we also have non-interview-based miniseries releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on Phaseworld.com. Now onto the show. Hi there! This is Fei Wu from Face World Podcast. I know a lot of you guys are new to this show, so welcome. I always want to first thank all of you for considering spending this time with us, whether it's five to ten minutes or hopefully you will listen to the whole thing. It makes me so happy. But if you're new to Face World, you may be wondering, hey, what is this podcast about? Well, you know, it has documented so much of my becoming since I turned 30 years old. So. Uh, This show has been around since 2014. I feel so privileged uh, to think about the ability that I'm able to do this. That is a privilege because a lot of the people in this world still do not have access to what we consider, you know, in the more developed world as a given. Uh, Internet access. uh, Somehow, you know, a podcasting service. uh, Someone we can hire to help us edit the show. The time that we have on our hands to create such know where to nurture our creative endeavor and just cannot take that for granted so before i introduce our guest today his name is robert zeitlin by the way he is the author of laugh more yell less a guide to raising kick-ass kids and this is a stuck at home edition as we're still living in this pandemic again i think all of us have this creative juice inside of all of us I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in this world. And I don't care whether somebody has told you when you were little that you're not a creative person or you're only good at math and science. And there's no way that you have the ability to interview other people, to try to be an artist, to write a book, whatever that is. I want you to reconsider this. Also, it doesn't matter what age you're in. As a 30-year-old woman who grew up in China, I really felt like I learned a lot through my own experience and sometimes I take that for granted too because it is such a privilege to grow up in a very different culture and there's so many aspects of being a Chinese person growing up in a very historic part of the world that has given me things that I wouldn't otherwise have. I wouldn't have the stories, the experiences to share with my friends. Needless to say that I wouldn't be able to bring some of my friends from the United States over to China, host their stays, you know, go visit the Great Wall, the Forbidden City for the one millionth time with them. I really begin to enjoy that process more and more as an adult. And especially in the past, I would say five to 10 years or so. Um, You know, speaking of which, this is sort of related to my conversation today with Robert Zilin. And the title of our conversation was How Can Parents Break Out of the Generational Trauma That Governs Their Parenting Style? So, as a Chinese person, um, someone who grew up there until, you know, I was 17 years old, there's still something so deeply embedded in my thinking, I understand the tradition. There's a lot of unlearning that I have conducted on my own in the past 20 years since I have landed here in the US where I still live and work trying to build a life and business around all of that. So there are certain aspects of that will sort of clash. And when I get on a conversation, when I get on the call with my family and friends in China and with my friends, I feel like people have really transformed a lot. And people have changed a whole lot, especially for my generation, sort of the later uh, or, or, I don't know, older uh, millennials, as, as you would say. It's just really interesting that we rarely talk about. And because Robert Zilin is a positive psychologist, I found this conversation to be so precious. And for me to be able to bring him on and to speak directly to parenting styles to what we often refer to as the tiger moms and the struggles that we go through, not just as Asian immigrants, but immigrants as a whole uh, and people of color. You know, I have a lot of friends who are black and you know, I feel so privileged to have known them and have them be as part of my life because they have, and they had, and still have very different struggles than I do. They talk about things such as their parents would tell them that they have to work twice, if not three times as hard, You know, as Caucasians, as people who aren't considered minority, people of color, so that they can have a chance. And I honestly cannot imagine uh, the amount of pressure that they would have on their shoulders. But then, you know, looking at, uh, the Asian population, I feel like it's just a different type of trauma. We've always always been told the same thing as well. But how do you process that as a kid? But How do you even process that as an adult? Furthermore, to teach your children, if you're going to raise one or more than one kids, do you want them to put that baggage on them? Do you want them to grow up the same way you did? You know, if it's helpful, then be it. But is it truly helpful? Or does it doesn't become a detriment or actually make people freeze up and not be able to really live their best lives. Right. At the end of the day, parents want their kids to live the best lives they possibly can. And parents should know that their knowledge is is different. And maybe there's certain things that the kids their kids have to make mistakes on their own and to learn from those mistakes. I think that's really the hidden gem of. What's going to happen between this conversation of me and Robert? So uh, I hope you share your feedback if you're listening it to Anchor. Uh, you know, give us a shout out, send us a message. I love this app because it allows me to connect with my audience right away. Now, uh, if you're on other apps, you can actually find me on social media everywhere under phase world. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. If you're not sure about the spelling, simply look at the app you're listening to and it will have the name of the podcast right on there. And thirdly, last thing I will say is if you want to tune in on these conversations earlier on, well, we have been basically live streaming all of these conversations raw and cut as soon as the conversation is being recorded, when it comes out. So you can follow me on my new YouTube channel under Faye Wu, my full name. And uh, you can also find me uh, on Faye's World on Facebook, under Facebook page, uh, my Twitter account and my new YouTube channel, Fei Wu, is where you are going to see all these live stream conversations. So thank you so much for listening, for watching, wherever you are. Know that I'm thinking of you. I appreciate you for being here. So without further ado, please welcome Robert Zyland to the Face World podcast. Hey everyone, this is wu again, and uh, this is Face World Podcast live stream. For those of you who are, you know, tuning in for the first time, I decided that instead of interviewing my lovely guests, learning a whole lot on my own, and spend three, four weeks editing, and I want this conversation to be as immediate instant and relevant to those of you as soon as possible. So today I welcome Robert Zilin, who is a positive psychologist. I'm so excited to have him here to talk about something uh, like a touchy subject and very provocative. I love it, which is how can parents in particular, you know, immigrants and also, you know, people of color break out of the generational trauma that governs their parenting style. Uh, I'm an immigrant. Robert is an immigrant, you know, uh, really from uh, three, four generations ago. We'll clarify that. But I certainly am more recent. And uh, so welcome, Robert. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited.
1: Thanks for having me, Faye. I think this is, I mean, let's, let's point out 99% of us are immigrants, right? So like, what are we talking about? You know?
0: Everybody's watching this.
1: <laughs> <That's what> everybody's <laughs> watching. <laughs>
0: So yeah, Robert, tell us a bit about uh, yourself. We've had the pleasure of working together, being colleagues, but I would love for people to learn more about you and your work.
1: Ah, look at that.
0: Thanks.
1: (laughs) Um, So face-holding of a piece of my work, which is my recently uh, published updated edition of a book for parents that I kept thin. She can turn it to the side. You can see it's not intimidating. It's not some like doesn't have like five pages of bibliography, all these references. It's really trying to give parents something inspirational and not shaming. It's called Laugh More, Yell Less, A Guide to Raising Kick-Ass Kids. Um, And it's my effort as a positive psychologist um, to bring some of the relevant and really what I think is amazing research uh, into parents' laps where they can use it to help raise kick-ass kids.
0: That's awesome. Oh, by the way, how long did it take for you to, to write this, Robert? Do you remember?
1: <laughs> yeah. So it um, <laughs> depends on which version you're talking about. So <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote a book called Positive Parenting Something Something. And, mm-hmm. um, and I sat down with, with someone I was working with, and we just realized it was not working. And so we actually went back to the drawing board. So that whole process probably took a good six months. Mm -hmm. And then this book came really easily after that. Once you figure out what you're not doing, uh, it gets a little easier. So beginning to end a little under a year um, Mm -hmm. to publish that book uh, back in 2015, five years ago this April, actually. Um, And then I just published the updated edition just this April in the middle of the pandemic.
0: Wow. Yeah. What a a timing that is, right? So I think... What connected us, and and before we we dive right into today's subject, and what really hit me is the fact that a lot of the parents, if not, I mean, what I would say most of the parents today are facing raising their kids at home. And I've heard a lot of challenges from parents uh, with the different ages uh, of their children, you know, from very young, four to five years old, to school-age kids, to teenagers, to college kids who have to uh, return home you know, when they're freshmen or when they're junior in college. So, you know, what have you noticed in the community today? You know, has it made your work easier harder? Do you see new conversations uh, sparking up or what what does that look like? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think it's added pressure on families. I'll extend you went all the way up into the ages of like like, uh, teenagers and young adults, but I'm going to say even like next generation moving back with their families. Like you're experiencing that a little bit. So you have two generations in the house that aren't used to like being there. So mm-hmm. I just got mm-hmm. off the phone with a grandparent who was like my my child and their family moved back. And now I'm like grandparenting right on top of them and they're parenting right in front of me. And mm-hmm. it to your question. It adds all this pressure. Um, in addition to the fact that we can't Go on vacation. Go to work. You know, have the breaks that we're we're used to having. Um, go to a restaurant every now and then. Yeah. Um, so it just it just amps up the pressure and it creates this um, this really tough situation. But for me and for a lot of families, an opportunity to actually gain from the challenges. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one one way that we met, we'll get into, led us both through this framework, this idea called the beautiful constraint. Mm-hmm. And a beautiful constraint is like. What do you do when you're boxed into a small area? You know, how do you innovate and do something, not just figure out how to get out of it, but how to transform it? And so, mm-hmm. I find this a, this is almost a transformative moment for families that want to embrace this opportunity and do something with it that up-levels their family.
0: Absolutely, and I posted along with going live with you today. I had this realization that this pandemic has become a unique learning experience uh, for me because. As a podcaster, as a content creator, sometimes it's harder to schedule time with people I really want to interview. Everybody's busy running around. People are often spending, you know, a good portion of their time commuting. Now everyone is home and eager to, you know, get on the show to teach me. So it, that has been just so profound. Um, and you know, speaking of a learning opportunity, I think. You know, as you mentioned, I'm not the only one. My mom, who came over to Boston to visit me, who is stuck with me here, we are really embracing this opportunity. In fact, um, we're also looking to, you know, build a home for her, for us, you know, something that that she can call uh, her own. But, you know, like with all this said, I'm in my, you know, mid to late 30s at this point. I've gone through a lot. And naturally, I started the conversation. I must say that one thing that hit me is, people who are listening to this, they're going to be people in their 20s, late 20s, 30s, um, immigrants who have immigrant parents or have parents who are living, uh, you know, uh, across the Atlantic Pacific Ocean, 8,000 miles away. So, you know, what, what can we, what should we talk about to kind of ease their mind? What can they learn from this conversation perhaps?
1: Yeah. Wow. So um, I mean, one big thing that, that they can learn is that um, w- what feels um, totally overwhelming and like it's only happening to your family is mm-hmm. probably happening next door and it's probably mm-hmm. happening down the street from your, your parent in a foreign country, your, mm-hmm. your siblings who are trying to support them, your, you know, all the people who are challenged with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so easy to get judgmental of ourselves and what we're doing and what we're not doing Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't say this just as a positive psychologist, but I am going to say, like, it's more widespread and normal than you think. And sometimes the answer is connecting with people you know, getting onto a a platform like this and talking about it Mm -hmm. so that you can find uh, the support that you need because you're probably not alone in this as much as you feel.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because you're right here, Robert, I feel like there's an opportunity for people to, Either maybe, you know, you have your eBooks, you have your short book, they're just, there's a lot that this book applies, even though it doesn't say pandemic on top of it, but there's a lot of learning as I read thinking that, wow, I mean, I wish, uh, selfishly, I wish like we grew up as uh, Chinese immigrants or, you know, just Chinese living in China. I wish our parents could have a handbook like this and, um, you know, if we talk about tiger moms. I love your earlier uh, post from this morning, the blog post, which you shared on your Facebook. And I hope that you'll put that on your website as well at some point. Um, you, you talk about the concept of tiger mom. And I immediately think tiger mom plus just a generational pressure, um, pressure as an immigrant living in the US and the pandemic. I feel like it just everything together is it's just a lot for any family to take. So to break that down and and to take step by step, I mean, maybe we should take a couple of steps back because I think people don't realize that that you too are an immigrant and you know of Jewish descent. Could you maybe talk about like why do you even care about helping us and you know resolving this issue and joining me today.
1: Sure. Um so uh when I say I'm, I'm an immigrant I'm I'm not saying that that I'm first generation here like you are I'm saying that my grandparents and and great grandparents came here uh to America looking for opportunity and looking to escape uh violence um like like so many people uh, you know like I said almost everyone we're talking to is coming here Not um, not easily, and some of us, unfortunately, were brought here, you know, Mm -hmm. for for slave labor. And so there's there's so many stories. And when I say I'm an immigrant, and obviously, you know, walking down the street, I can pass as white, but I I say I'm a a Jewish American because my culture, my heritage, shaped how Mm -hmm. I was parented, how I was raised, the the messages that I received, and the messages that we translated to our kids too. Um, You know, we've gotten a little pushback. Our kids are grown now. Um, I wrote the book and dedicated to them. They're not not kick-ass kids. Now they're kick-ass grown adults. Um, But a little bit of like, you made us really scared at times. You made us really cautious. And Mm -hmm. and why is that? Because we had handed down to us, you know, in, in some ways you can call it generational trauma of growing up with families that had been through a lot. They'd escaped the Holocaust. They'd escaped the pogroms in Russia, specifically my dad's family. Um, they'd survive the depression here, they'd survive hard times trying to build businesses and make lives for themselves. And all those lessons sort of compound as -hmm. we were talking about, you know, how it impacts on an immigrant family and parenting style, it all comes down. You know, one of the messages I grew up with was never forget because the, the brutal atrocities that happened in Europe to Jews was something that we were we trained to like keep an eye on and keep a focus on because history could repeat itself. And this whole cautious mindset, you know, is something I grew up with.
0: Yeah. And I, I was nodding because a lot of what you described, I feel like not only I, I instill that, like I remember at least seeing a version of that from my family. Um, but also I must say that I see so much of that in, you know, among the people who are close to me, to my heart And I remember coming here when I was 17, getting ready for college. Even though I didn't realize, most Chinese kids didn't realize they got two months to prepare for English and math. We had thought this is crazy. We had thought the college exam comes around summertime, like it would be in China, right? It's at the very end of your senior before college start. The summer before where the college starts comes at the end of your senior year. You get the results in a week. And we all showed up, said, oh, you know, our parents really only had money for one year of high school. And we knew that was important. So we got here and we didn't realize the SAT kicked in October 1st or October 15th, something like that. Uh, I remember feeling, and there's nobody said, Faye's going to go to Harvard. Not one person remotely imagined me going to Harvard. I knew I wasn't going, but I remember the sense of like, you know her life probably not gonna be that great. You know she's not really the, <laughs> the Harvard Stanford material. But when you were growing up, was there that expectation academically to say, you know, the A minus is the Asian F? You really have to execute flawlessly.
1: Yeah. So, so I'd, I'd say I'd say um, we were a couple generations from that. That yeah. A must be an A pressure yeah. because. And I I shared a story with you briefly, and we can talk about it more. But like, yeah, like the the pressure on um, uh, colleges and admissions for Asian and Asian American students is the kind of pressure that that Jewish and Jewish American students faced uh, a century before. Mm -hmm. So I imagine my great grandparents pressuring my grandparents to get the A, or else you know, or else anything else is an F. Um, Mm -hmm. The way it played out for me is this: just high high, huge expectation of you will go to college, you will become a professional, you will uh, make a career. One yeah. of my uh, Jewish colleagues in the medical profession, whose parents were both doctors, said, growing up, my parents said I could be anything I wanted as long as it's a doctor.
0: <laughs> any, yeah, any specialty within uh, the anything medical I field?
1: <laughs> Um, So those kind of pressures about becoming a professional, about achieving college, the expectation that you're going to go to college, you're going to go to a good college, all Mm -hmm. these um, what I consider in the book and what I talk about now, all this sort of fear-based parenting that we're going to somehow guarantee our kids a uh, safe future, Mm -hmm. um, which now uh, you know whether you're first generation or fourth generation, the world is different. The world's Mm -hmm. not only flatter and um, you know. Uh, a century ago, you might not have come here and established the life you had, but also your mom coming here and living for a couple of years and then going back and now Mm -hmm. coming back. Like all this fluidity of borders changes everything. And also, obviously, as we've seen, especially during the pandemic, the -hmm. future is really not written and things are happening really fast. Mm. And so- I think that pertains, that's something that parents need to take into consideration when they're balancing all those cultural pressures that we may Mm -hmm. or may not know we're putting on our kids Mm -hmm. with like what we think could be guaranteeing them a safe future. Like Mm -hmm. the safe future is a different thing than we might imagine.
0: Yeah, I would love to dive deep into that. And I don't know who's watching, who will be watching this afterward, but I just, for a moment, I just want to thank you for this opportunity for me to express myself because I don't think I really had an opportunity to talk with really anyone publicly about this. I've written in my blog post and even felt guilty at times to say, you know, how many of my, how many people among my audience are really like, Asian Americans are really immigrants. I mean, this is so irrelevant and unrelatable. Like, am I being selfish? But then I realize that there are people reaching out to me and say, oh my God, thank you for, for writing about this. So there's, there's like, I think about my quote it's not exactly trauma, but there's something that's so relatable when I think about when I first came here around 2000, you know, at uh, my high school, Freiburg Academy. We had to wait in line to use that one phone, like a physical, not a cell phone, you know, whatever, wired phone uh, to call our parents. There's a line of students, uh, international students waiting. And on top of that, because we're living in Maine, we had to find phone cards to call them, which right. we could not purchase online. And- uh, There was no online. Right? There's not, you know, you can't really buy them online. And there's, you got this one, you know, credit card or whatever, you got your 20 bucks and you're, you're afraid they're going to be scammed. So you go to these local stores in Maine, I, I would go. And I remember what's so painful about it is we weren't the rich kids. I remember Japanese, Korean kids were much wealthier. So the Chinese kids at the time, 20 years ago, we weren't, financially uh seen as you know wh- who we are today. But I remember flipping over the, I still remember these moments, flipping over the phone cards and see the rate to call China is the highest among really? any other country, which means we're the poorest students with a $20 phone card. We better plan what we want to say to our parents. And believe it or not, I I did. I would have a script, I'll be like, I got five minutes. I got two minutes. I believe minutes that
1: my- about you, Faye. <laughs> I totally believe that about you.
0: <laughs> this is my script. Mom, yep, yep. Okay. This is what happened. All right. You know, just can you hear me? And uh I'm gonna finish with okay, everybody okay, healthy? All right, check. And you know, that's that's the that's step one. And uh it it <laughs> it's so funny to talk about it. But it's crazy. And the second hardest thing I would say for people who are watching this, and you're not probably actively experiencing this because of the pandemic, but as you're watching, when you're, I was at the Beijing airport for 20 years, for the good 15 years, I just remember there's a security, right? You got your tickets, you check in your luggage and there's a security. It's that security gate 15 to 100 and you walk. And I will turn around and look at my parents for like that one last time. And then you go down the escalator. Oh my God. It's just like, I can just cry now thinking about it. It was just so hard. So like there, there it is your future. And there's an escalator going down. I just, you know, I just, just that moment, you know, so black and white. It was so emotional. I think that's how I developed my acid reflex. but.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm sure. I'm sure. I can only imagine. This is. This is Faye in 2000, right? 1999?
0: 2000, I would say the airport situation is probably from 2000,
1: 2015 or Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, That's it was crazy. really hard at the beginning. Um, and and the journeys that, you know, it's just symbolic of the journeys that, that we all took to get here. Some, mm-hmm. some um, easier than others, you know, some by ocean line or some by plane some unfortunately by slave ships, some by like, there's so many uh, stories that get us here and getting to our point, And by the way, I want to bookmark something you said before, we'll come back to it. But getting to our point, you know, the the, the, the entry process to America, I don't think was easy for anyone. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, we say 99%, but let's put 100%, like the entry process of all of us to the native Americans who are here was also traumatizing. So like everyone, has like gone through generations and generations of trauma to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And if we don't think that it's somewhere in that parenting style that we got and that we're passing on to our kids, mm-hmm. we we probably need to look at it a little harder.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, you have interacted with a big variety of parents and even very recently as of today, you know, what are some of the things that you feel like that will actually you know you've experienced that will be helpful to perhaps parents who have lived through trauma, immigrant parents, because I find that that sometimes maybe it's easier to hear from you than to hear from me. Um, you know, like what are some of the 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 breaking points where people can actually sit and listen and to to process this as opposed to just blocking it off to say, "I know better," and you know st- step away. Sort of thing. Right.
1: Well, when I sat down to write a book to translate what I knew about mindfulness and positive psychology uh, for parents, because I felt like it was all this research that really wasn't wasn't attainable, but I wanted to bring mm. it down and make it simple. I ended up with like seven ways you can start raising kick-ass kids. But if we're going to boil it down and we're going to pick sort of the highlight, obviously they they all get to the idea of laughing more and yelling less. But mm. the highlight really is, and and the tipping point for me, honestly was getting from being a knee-jerk, reactive parent to finding some way to slow down the process of what happened to me and how I reacted. You know, Mm -hmm. if they're right there and they're just tipping each other, then there's no room for any kind of decision. There's no room for any kind of processing. There's no room for you to use your strengths, your cognitive strengths, your emotional intelligence. And if you can create a gap, slow it down a little so there's a gap between what happens and what you, how you respond, then you start to gain some power and some choice in the matter. And I think that's the critical piece. How does that pertain to immigrant families? How does it pertain to anyone? It pertains because this, this what happens, and this connection, this moment, this this place here is full of all this, uh, you know, tr- uh, generational loading. All this uh, stuff we observe growing up. All the stuff that was handed down to us. All these caution flags. All these warnings, all these Mm -hmm. pressures. And if we can start to like create a little bit of a gap there, then we can start to have more control over those things as opposed to having them control us.
0: Mm -hmm. What are some of the parents, uh, what can some of the things parents start to experiment and try? Because I, I can... Uh, If I were to imagine and speculate a bit, if there is, let's say, a Chinese mom watching our video to say, hmm, maybe this speaks to me. Maybe Mm -hmm. I could try something different today. And you know that uh, experience, that journey of all of a sudden being super nice to your kids, all of a sudden not yelling at them. Your kids sense something dramatic happening and the kids might Mm -hmm. overreact too. So what, what would be like a journey that you can maybe kind of nurture the parents a little bit to help them prepare for what might happen as they begin to change right. their approach? Sure.
1: So I, I say in the book, laughing more and yelling less is something you can do. You can do it right now. You can like, like close up your laptop, close up your computer, put down the book, go and, and hang with your kids and laugh and, and enjoy yourself, but it's not going to be an ongoing thing unless you actually begin to change what your intentions are and mm-hmm. what your beliefs underneath are. So one thing that you can do, a simple thing you can do to begin, and this was actually my last blog post on my site. And you're right, that Tiger Mom piece I wrote this morning will be a blog post in the next couple of days on my, on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last was like, what's the, the easiest, simple way to start positive parenting? And here it is there are 24 different character strengths. In the book that you, you held up there, there's a, there's a bookmark mm-hmm. and it has 24 different words on it, like forgiveness and gratitude and, and um, curiosity and creativity. I call them superpowers, as you see, um, yeah. hope, judgment. Um, so on the other side, there are 24 character strengths that underlie the, positive, the research in positive psychology. And my hint, my tip, my idea, for parents that want to start this, is to take one of them and start to practice them on a regular basis. Let's take an example, gratitude. Mm-hmm. If you want to practice gratitude on a regular basis, you can go around and say thank you more, you know, as you interact with people. But mm-hmm. my idea actually to make it a daily habit is at the end of the day, have a uh, a, a pad of paper or a post-its by your bedside and just get in the habit of writing down three things that you're grateful for today. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you need to keep track of. In fact, you can Roll it up and throw it out it doesn't matter. it's the habit of starting to do that on a regular basis and in the blog post, I lead them through also the other steps of like once you start doing that on a regular basis, you start to look around for things that you might be grateful for. oh, I need to remember that It's sort of like you take a picture of something in your mind so you can mm-hmm. use later mm-hmm. and that's the way you start to exercise gratitude and exercising any of those 24 character strengths like gratitude can lead you down that road to start laughing more and yelling less-hmm.
0: And I, selfishly, again, because I feel like, man, I wish I, I really felt like I wish I met you, especially in my mid-20s. I, I was going through a lot of, I, I feel like in my 37 years, I have gone through many different phases, possibly faster than some of the other immigrants, such as in my early 20s, when I was 24, my dad was diagnosed with cancer uh, in China Stage three, four uh, at the time, my mom called me, cried, and I was just at the beginning of my career. And it was so hard for me to explain this. I couldn't find any relatable stories because all my friends were just playing snowboarding. Nobody had a sick parent. And so that was really traumatic. And that's when I personally, for the first time in my life, seeked out um, help from a psychologist. And it was so helpful. And so I do want to talk about psychology real quick and, you know, kind of fast forward. Now I'm raising my mom. So like at my age is a little bit faster too. I definitely get to that. But if, you know, right now people from around the world are dealing with all kinds of illnesses, you know, not just COVID-19, but other things are also happening. And what would be your uh, advice, kind of put you on the spot, if, you know, if an immigrant family are dealing with their the situation with their loved ones here in the U.S. perhaps, but not living together, or possibly worse, which is that, you know, uh, immigrant students and workers here in the U.S. are dealing with that while their parents are home in China, in Japan, somewhere else, thousands of miles away.
1: Yeah, so that's a that's a really, really tough situation, obviously. I mean, I think as um, as we start to feel the effects, now that it's not... A month or two months or three months, but we're starting to see the longer-term effects of being separated mm-hmm. physically from the ones we love. Um, the idea of people being ill and us not being able to be with them is just heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking, and, and every time I hear from a medical professional who talks about uh, being the person to hold the iPhone so their family can be connected with someone as they're on a ventilator or they're in the hospital, it's like how how can it how can anyone possibly deal with this? Mm -hmm. Um, and so as a psychologist or as a positive psychologist, I have to say, you know, I I think allowing yourself the space to like, to manage all the feelings that come with that. And Mm -hmm. again, like you asked before, or my, I answered before being connected with people, finding ways to, um, to, 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 heal the problems with your siblings or reach out to your cousins or, you know, take advantage of the village that's always there, but you might have sort of like broken down a little bit, but Mm -hmm. this is a time when we need to come together in our families and Mm -hmm. our communities to support each other, especially when we're dealing with something as unimaginable as not being able to be in contact or, or physically with someone who's ill.
0: Mm -hmm. And Thank you for, for our sharing that because it just hearing that, it's very comforting because we often feel so alone. And I think what really triggered me to think about that question is, again, communication, because a lot of people think about— I know we generalize in calling them tiger moms, and when you think about tiger mom, you think of a Chinese woman. That's, but it could, be, uh, it could be Japanese, could be Korean, could be Vietnamese, right? And what people don't realize that, that somebody at my age could be raising, I don't have children, but I could be raising a young child and I could be a tiger mom at the age of 37. But what people don't realize that is my parents' age, the next generation, the generation before me, are also very much the tiger parents. And in many cases, honestly, much worse. Like I feel like the, this quote unquote, the Wall Street Journal tiger mom, my, my generations are already getting better. But it's just the generation before us really is struggling big time in terms of communication. So what do you think we as kids can do? You know, maybe me and people who are younger than me in their 20s. Like, what can we do to not reverse that effect, but to kind of do our part? Uh, you know, maybe, to, maybe we can initiate something on this card uh, mm-hmm. to kind of rescue our Relationships with our parents. Like, have you seen that reverse effect? And do you coach the next generation to say, "This is how you overcome that trauma"?
1: Yes, uh, not mm-hmm. just. I mean, the way we start out, like, how do you overcome the trauma in your own parenting style, so you don't pass it down? Yeah, so just, yeah. How do you also deal with your parents and grandparents who have have that style or have lived through that style? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the character strengths on there is actually forgiveness, and mm-hmm. so. The power of being able to take perspective and recognize—I I start thinking—the first time I, I learned about sort of a tiger mom sort of persona was through Amy Tan's novels. Mm-hmm. And so, like, starting to think about the generational conversations that can happen, um, mm-hmm. uh, whether whether you're in a Chinese family or any other immigrant family, because recognizing your grandparents' experience stuff that made them who they were. And they were also passing down the things that they thought were the the safest and the wisest ways to raise the next generation. We're all just trying to make sure the next generation's okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe one thing that you can do that kind of reverses the stream a little bit Mm -hmm. is to uh, take the work that you're doing on yourself. I'm gonna come back to the thing that I said we bookmarked before. Oh, let's do Uh, that, yeah. Take the work that you're doing on yourself and do what you're doing with your mom, which is actually showing her how strongly you have evolved and landed at 37 that you don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure she's gonna walk in with a dish any minute. You, 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 she's <laughs> you're so
0: right, she always does in every live stream, every meeting. She's like hiding herself, tripping over my cameras, yep. She's,
1: she's cooking for you, she's providing for you, she's doing mm-hmm. what she can and um, representing that you're okay to yeah. her and, yeah. and allowing her some peace of mind I think that's that's the hard part about being so distant from our relatives. So they're so worried about us and they're worried about us in an old school way, you know, but there's a new school way that we're functioning and we're actually managing things mm-hmm. and we're dealing with new challenges, but like reassuring them maybe, and also forgiving and understanding that they're coming from a place that was them doing the best that they could. Yeah. And, and, and just sort of maybe supporting them a little bit, going back to one thing that I wrote in the post, which is we're responsible for, mm-hmm. and we're also responsible to our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so like, how do we mm-hmm. balance those two things?
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. What, well, by the way, was that the bookmark? Or or is that was the bookmark? There, Yeah. You said you bookmarked the topic. Oh, no, no, I no, no. I haven't
1: come back to the bookmark you are holding, no, so <laughs> <the bookmark laughs> holding up. No. So the bookmark <laughs> topic was you talking about how difficult it was for you to write about yourself and how mm-hmm you were being selfish and it wasn't relevant. Mm-hmm. And I remember back to when I started to write the book and I started to look around it, like I could talk about all these theories or it'd be much more interesting to people, and this sounds selfish and sort of self-centered, it'd be much more interesting to people to hear about what I've experienced, to mm-hmm. talk about myself. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, I can't talk about myself, just like you said. like <laughs> yeah. that's That's really uncomfortable. And and it doesn't feel safe. It's totally mm. something my parents and grandparents wouldn't do. They would say, no, 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 don't tell people about yourself. They could use it against you or something like that. Right? Yeah, well, not
0: your family. Not about your family, not exactly. yourself. Don't yeah. talk about your family. Um, my, my daughter
1: still jokes about the book, you know, that I told stories about her. I didn't sort of get her consent. But like, <laughs> I, I, I think there's something, you've been on the microphone for over 20 years, right? In one well, form you know- or another
0: you know what? Oh my God, you're right. Cause I was a, yeah, I was a DJ when I was 16. I was like 20 yeah. years. Oh
1: yeah. It's 20 years. You weren't talking about yourself at, right. at 16 yeah. and, right. and now you're still struggling to talk about yourself. But I think this challenge of talking about ourselves, um, is sort of born out of that, you know, uh, generational trauma in a sense yeah. of like, like, don't, don't put your stuff out there. That's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, On the other hand, we both know, and this is what I want to bookmark, we both know from our experience and and we have one experience in common that led us here. There was a crossroads where we both went through the same personal development program with Mm -hmm. uh, Seth Godin, the old Mm -hmm. MBA, uh, which required us not only to write answers to questions, but to publish them on the web where Mm -hmm. everyone could see everything that we were writing. Right? And this idea of getting past the idea of writing about myself, recognizing that people aren't tuning in to this live or this recording to find out about me. They're, they're looking to find out about the things about you and about me that, that resonate with them, that inspire mm-hmm. them. They're looking for themselves in the mirror. They're looking for a way to connect with your immigrant experience, your entrepreneurial experience, the mm-hmm. challenges that you've gotten through. All, you know, you could, the list I could make for you and I, I don't know everything about you is immense. You know, mm-hmm. the things that you've, that you've managed and succeeded are things that people can learn from. And that's why it's important for you to share yourself. And that's why I I chose to get over myself and and put some of my own stories in the book.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, incredible. I hope more people will choose to share something about themselves. I say that, you know what, just go live for 15, 30 seconds every day on Instagram live, say a few things. Who cares? It disappears after 24 hours anyway. Or I love what you, Robert, have been doing. uh, And I see Michael O'Brien doing the same thing, which is our long, these long, you know, very, you know, heartfelt uh, stories right there on your Facebook profiles. Sure. Try that. Some people may or may not care, but the people who do find it helpful are going to tune in. And once it becomes a habit, just like, you know, Seth Godin writes every single day. When you stop writing, people will be like, something's missing, you know? And uh, I, I find that journey to be so fascinating. So there's one area because again, I'm a certain age and I know that our generation are now all growing up, you know, uh, the you know, in our uh, immigrants from the early 2000 are now in their, uh, you know, either in their 30s or the next wave, 2010 immigrants are now in their 20s. Fascinating that I must ask, The second category of these traumatic experiences for our parents, or possibly for their parents, is the fact that they truly, sincerely believe that their children have absolutely chosen the terrible and the wrong partners. (laughs) You know, life partners. Terrible decision. Like, the skies falling, you know. um, And things that they're so embarrassed to admit. Things like, they're too old, they're too poor, Guys, I'm taking the hit here because I'm admitting the truth. They are, you know, they're not handsome enough. They're not tall enough. These things, people are like whispering. I never share this, but it's like you as an, you know, as an immigrant person, walk back to your family. You have to like heads down. Once that's done, do you have children? How many children you have? Which schools your children are going to? Right. It follows you through. Like, so if we just talk about partner, because I think we can talk about this yeah. probably for the next 18 hours. Um yeah. <laughs> What, what do you say, how, how do you help, uh, you know, these families and parents understand that, you know, the choices are really their children's and not theirs? Yeah,
1: so hard. Actually, I was just watching a show last night. So uh, Queer Eye, is the new season, was actually filmed in Philadelphia. And I'm so proud of all the different stories they're telling. And the yeah. last one was actually about a Mexican family that has a shop in the oldest farmer's market in the country, in the yeah. um, Italian market. Um, and one thing was the family was estranged from the oldest daughter who had moved out before she was married. And this caused all this rift.
2: Wow. But
1: yeah. uh, the 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 norms, the rules, let's call them, that you grew up yeah. with, the unstated yeah. rules, the yeah. rules that I grew up with, this idea that um, if I didn't marry someone Jewish and raise my kids Jewish, that I was somehow betraying. Like I was like and this is going to sound totally dramatic, but Jews are going to get this, right? Um, <laughs> that, that Hitler eliminated like two thirds of the Jews in Europe. And mm. by doing that, we were continuing that work. Like we were threatening the continuation of our, of our culture. Yeah. And that kind of pressure and that kind of talk <laughs> hovered over me as I started to, you know, look around and date and start to think about like who you yeah. want. But it's not just who you want, it's who you fall in love with. And this idea that love can play a factor in this, in this generation, nice. obviously changes the whole game, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think the movie's called Meet the Patels. I highly suggest it. Um, Ravi Patel, he's a, a actor and a comedian. And he documents his parents' pressure on him to find an Indian bride. Um, mm-hmm. And behind the scenes of the whole documentary, I'm going to give it away, is his relationship with an American woman who, whom he loves and who eventually they get, they get around to having some sort of peace with. Um, I watched that, not, yeah. Oh, you did? What did yeah, you think? Yeah, it's
0: fantastic. It is so engaging. It's different than what I thought, but what it, how it would be. This is like an older, this is not a brand new movie because I watched this maybe a couple of years ago or a year ago. That's yeah, um, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so fascinating to me. And And his sister is
1: out there and single. She's actually the filmmaker, the documentarian. She she documented him going back to India for a process where he's supposed to meet. And there's a whole network here in America. And whether you're Chinese, whether you're Indian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Italian, the idea that you'd bring home someone other than the the cardboard cutout model of what your parents told you and expect to walk in the door is (laughs) almost universal and um, and I'd say, unfortunately, and and I think Ravi gets to it really in that film. The X factor that was not was not as big an allowance in their generation that it is in ours is mm-hmm. love. Is the idea that not only do you make your own path in life, but mm-hmm. that you fall in love with who you who you're going to fall in love with.
0: Yeah. Uh, and what's really hard for uh, a lot of people I know, my generation before or after, is the fact that. Yes, our parents raised us as, as, as tiger parents in different various versions. For my parents, it was not about learning the piano or getting straight A's, but it was something else, right? Uh, and is the fact that I really love my parents and I want them to be happy. I know they sacrificed so much for me to be here. They could have a huge retirement cushion, yet my mom spent every single penny to support me educationally. Uh, and to on, lay on top of that, international students do not, what well, did not get scholarships easily or at all. So I feel like we, we're really the foundation of the U.S. like economy to a certain degree, right? right? And with that said, it's like, and you find someone, it doesn't matter who, and your mom is incredibly sad. I mean, we're talking about you know, crying. I heard my, my friend's parents, mom threatened to jump off the building, threatened to like, literally they use words like suicide. I'll kill myself. I'll never come see your children. Uh, you know, and, and it's just, uh, and it just incredible and it's incredibly hurtful. I mean, we joke about it now. It, it was hurtful for me for a good 10, 15 years. In fact, I, I admittedly say that it, it took so much energy out of me, out of, if I could use that energy to focus on creative work like I have been in the past three to five years and be comfortable at work, you know, you carry that guilt, that pressure when your parents right. are trying to find to kill themselves because you fall in love with the wrong person and you go right. to work. That's a different work for you. Um, it's not just different
1: work, but, but it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, so, it's so contradictory to the values that she raised you with, that she supported, that she, you told the story about only having a year's worth of of tuition and her finding some way to like still manage to continue to send you through college. Like she's worked worked herself to the bone to get you into this position where you could do this. And this idea that you could somehow discount all of that and now start spending energy, like leaking out energy worrying about whether she's, she's really suicidal or she's just trying to pressure you or Mm -hmm. what, what the heck is going on when you simply made this choice. And it's, and it, and it, it's such a generational communication, like gap between like, this makes total sense to her and it makes zero sense to you. And what makes total sense to you makes zero sense to her. And there couldn't be a bigger gap if you tried.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that is so hard that we, you know, as a, Immigrant students. Whenever, especially when I speak about this to a woman, and often with a man, uh, was it a Chinese guy? And it just we will die laughing, but we knew deep inside that we have to go back to real life and actually deal with it. Right. Um, you know. And I, I, I don't know how why I started this, but thank you for for breaking that down for me. And what, I mean, what would you say if a, a parent is smart enough to say, "I'm going to talk to." Robert, maybe it's not about a relationship issue. We're using this as an example, like to talk to you, to actually feel better, to, to regain that relationship. Because honestly, to be honest with you, like if I could have those 10, 15 years back with my mom, I'll do anything because we were best friends and we couldn't be anymore. And then she even tell me that I regret sending you here. I regret the decision I made. You shouldn't have, you know. Uh, so for me to, to, I feel like now she's approaching 70s. And I said, if my mom's in perfect health, I hope I have another 20, 30 years with her. Right. Uh, but we all have a number. I feel like, you know, part of me is like, man, I already left China when I was 17. I lost so many years with my parents. My dad's gone. And now I look back, it's like, we spend some crappy years struggling with this. I right. couldn't share anything with her. I couldn't tell her where I was, what I was doing, my, my whereabout, what I was learning, because she was only interested in one answer, is that you have broken up with someone, you have found the perfect guy. And guess what? I realized there was, that guy doesn't exist. You know, that was the, yes. that, that was the deal breaker right there. It's like, I yeah, wish the that, you know, that person doesn't exist. That's the yeah. hard
1: part. And, and, and that it's, that it's all about checking off a single box. You know, it's not about your happiness, your health, your wellness. It's mm-hmm. not about like, I think about my, my friends who have, uh, decided as as single women to have children and start their own families mm-hmm. without necessarily finding a mate. And um, the stress that they are under, this one friend of mine said um, that unfortunately her her pregnancy didn't last the first time around, but she realized how much stress she was under and how much mm-hmm. it was uh, what she'd call a fear-based pregnancy. Yeah. And the second yeah. time around when she found herself pregnant again, she's like, I don't care what I'm go- I don't care what it's going what it's gonna take. But this is going to be a joy-based pregnancy. This kid is going to marinate in joy and happiness and yeah. love and not fear and stress and anxiety. And so when I think about parents uh, not realizing the impact that they're having on their kids, not just um, pressuring them to make a, uh, a single choice, but mm-hmm. also the impact on the relationship for the lost years, I think what you just said is, is terribly poignant and, and should be almost the instruction manual for any parent that's doing this with their kids is like, you don't realize the time, you know, they do, they, they do realize, and it's a sacrifice they're making because mm-hmm. they do, they think that it's, it's the most critical thing that could ever happen. And they need to like throw everything away besides it. But like,
2: mm-hmm. we
1: don't, as, as this year is proving, unfortunately mm-hmm. for so many that have uh, become ill and 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 struggled with the illness and survived. Not to mention those that have passed yeah. away. We don't have all the time in the world. We can't actually uh, start yeah. to just throw it away like that. We just don't know what's coming next, and we need to be more thoughtful uh, in our relationships. I, I I know thoughtful isn't really capturing it for those parents, but I think um, there's a meeting of the minds where there's more than one factor going on, which is mm-hmm. you know that you find the perfect uh, suitable. Sooner.
0: Yeah, I am very lucky as I'm speaking about this. I couldn't for 10, fifteen years, but I can finally speak up because my mom and I are in, in such a great place. I am so privileged and lucky to say that because if you had a gun to my face, I, I years ago, I would tell you that this day will never come. I mean I, I literally thought about it, and then through a lot of her own transformation and learning that to be honest, like she, I think she reached this point with my support, but ultimately it was her choice. Yeah. Um, to realize that you know, uh, to unfortunately through some of her own failed relationships, she realized that maybe maybe my daughter knows a bit more than I do. I mean, she really admitted that. So I'm lucky. I and I my heart goes out to people who are watching this and still are living in the trauma. I hope that you will consider, you know, again, I, I listed Robert's website down below. Um, I think you have provided a lot of not just comfort, but strategic, you know, tactics for people to actually approach this step-by-step. Um, this is, from what I learned working with a psychologist, this is not a, you know, a Chinese approach of going to the library, going to the bookstore and get the most popular famous author's book and you're all set. If you study it really well, <laughs> <laughs> you really need a partner. You need a partner. You need a thinking partner through this all to to rescue you and your relationship with, you know, two most important people in your life. So,
1: yeah. If I could say one last thing, I think yeah. change. We're talking about change, and we're mm-hmm. talking about you know not just behavior change, but we're talking about sort of change from the inside out, and that's always hard. It's it's not. There's no recipe, like you said. It's not in the best selling book. Um, it's uh, it's something that takes some work. It could use, you could use a partner. But you, but you need to approach it in a way that is um, recognizing this is, this is getting off the track that you're on, that you've been set on for generations, like we were talking about, mm-hmm. um, is not an easy move. There's a lot of forces that are keeping you on that track. And so mm-hmm. if you really want to veer onto a different track or change or choose your life, it takes a lot of internal work. And I think beginning with a psychologist is a really effective way. When mm-hmm. I started parenting, I thought, I want to be a different parent than I grew up with. And then I didn't realize how hard that was because the automatic messages just start coming down the line, you know, just start acting like your own mom and, and, and dad, Yeah. but getting off that track, I found really required some hard work and working with a psychologist or doing some introspective work is really an important piece.
0: Love that. Thank you so much for your time, Robert. I really, we both look forward to this conversation. I'm glad we're able to do this and, and I've taken you a little bit all over the place, but they're just, I feel like there's so many variations there's like a kaleidoscope situation. It's not just singly that person, that woman looking that way from China. Like, no, we are all at different phases of the situation. And, um, so what, uh, is a good way for people to reach out to you, to contact you if they want to learn more and hear from you?
1: So I'm on social media. You'll, you provide the links, but my website is the, is the probably mm-hmm. best way, robertsitlin.com.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, um, on Facebook, I'm like you said, I'm posting longer posts like mm-hmm. Michael has been doing for a long time to give him credit. Um, and uh, the one about Tiger Moms will be a blog, blog post on my website within the mm-hmm. next couple of days.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining me, Robert. I hope we'll continue this, conver- this conversation in one form or another. And it's, I'm so excited for the work you're doing. And I hope your message your book, your teaching in many different forms will reach many more of the immigrant families, in particular, the, the Asian families. So thank you. thank you so much. Thanks, Faye. Bye, guys. Gonna stop live now. <laughs> Bye. That's it. We're off air. <laughs> so that was wow. so fun. I was, wow. oh, I know. Sorry, I was a little, old. I got so excited. I was. No, it's cool. Oh, man, I realized it's. Wow. Like I realized the kids can benefit from so much from this. I realized that we live, the people who live through the trauma can also learn from you uh, yeah. possibly so that they don't repeat that mistake. And that, that is very yeah. unfortunate. So.
1: Tay, yeah. okay, um, This is so much fun. Um, it reminded me actually a little bit of improv, um, which is like, I, I uh, I took a couple classes of improv, but, like when there were when there were new people like me who were so, super nervous and like, mm-hmm. you, do you need to get off? I'm sorry.
0: Oh, uh, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. I have a client okay. hopping on at noon, but I can always put him okay. in the waiting room if he does appear. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, it'll just take a minute.
0: Yeah, um, please. I,
1: yeah. There was a woman that was in most of my classes named Emily, and she is so effing talented. Yeah. You're Emily in this story. Um, and... Um, it was such a pleasure to be on stage with her because I knew no matter what crazy stuff I would do and throw out that she could handle it and throw it back and turn it into something and so I had all that confidence walking into this conversation with you and it didn't matter where we went it was going to be great
0: oh thank you so much for, for saying that this episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World Podcast team: our chief editor and producer Herman Cevallos, associate producer Adam Leffert, social media and content manager Rose De Leon, transcript editor Alina. Ahmedova, and lastly myself, the creator and host of Phase World. Thank you so much for listening.